This is Pastor Chad. Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We are honored that you have joined us today. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Now, let's jump in to today's message. Bethesda Church, are you glad to be here today? Amen. It is good to see you in God's house. I hope you're doing well. I want to welcome those that are watching online as well. You should have noticed uh, on your way in, and you may have heard him talk about it in the pre-show, this 40-day challenge actually came from first Wednesday night. Uh, We had Pastor John Welch all the way from Louisiana in-house with us to preach, and he preached an amazing message about how the bride of Christ, the church will overcome. And he used Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. And a lot of us stop right there, but there is a third phrase that Pastor John brought out that's very important to uh, becoming a part of the overcoming church. And he talked about um, that they love not their lives unto death. In other words, um, they were no longer selfish. Their life was not about themselves any longer. Uh, And he talked about Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. He talked about the fact that Eve did not sin because she was evil. Eve sinned because she was selfish. Uh, And and so he ended the message with 1 Corinthians 13, um, which is the opposite of living a selfish life, but a selfless life is what um, God is looking for. And so what I want you to do is take this card, jot in your name on all those blanks. Uh, And so it should read, for me, it's Chad endures with patience and serenity. Chad is kind and thoughtful. Chad is not jealous or envious and so on. And, And so what we want to do is do that for a 40-day period. You can fill that out, put it on your refrigerator, uh, hang it on a bathroom mirror, but every day make that declaration. And how many know at the end of 40 days, your attitude ought to be better? Your perspective ought to be better. Your marriage ought to be better. Your parenting will be better. Uh, And so take the challenge. How many will do the challenge with me for 40 days? Come on. Y'all with me? All right. Some of y'all with me. Some of you going to pray about it, right? Um, But Pastor John, he set me up real well. And let me say about First Wednesday, if you're choosing not to come, we're praying for you. Our First Wednesdays have been unbelievable all year long, even going back into the fall of last year. So make it a priority to get here on First Wednesday. God always does something significant in those services. Uh, And so thank you for being here. Um, We're kicking off a brand new series entitled Quenched. And I'm excited about this series because it's a series on revival. Everyone say revival. All right. It's a series on revival. um, And I think it's going to make sense as we dive into this content um, about where we are headed. Because I think for the most part, people who are following Jesus, who have a relationship with God, if you are to look at the landscape of our world, You can look at politics, um, economics, spiritual climate, the pandemic of 2020. Uh, By the way, y'all look great. I can see your face. It's been a while. You look great. Um, And um, but but you look at it, and I think a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of Christians say the phrase, "We need God to do something." Right? How many's ever heard that? We just need God to do something. 
Uh, I've heard that my whole life, um, and I'm sure many of you have heard that as well. And I think that a lot of the people of faith have kind of, um, they've, they've gotten to a place where they just want God to do something. Um, and God had just started revival in me, started revival in my church, started revival in my family. And, and so we want God to do something. Um, and I've heard that again, a large part of my life. And that caused me to pause because I've been hearing it more and more as people look at the world, God, we need you to do something. And it's caused me to look into the subject of revival and what revival looks like. And because, listen, if, if revival is so universally desired, then why do so few people experience it? I want you to think about that. If it's universally desired, people want a move of God, they want God to do something, then why do so few people experience it or receive it? Uh, and I know that the topic of revival is an overwhelming topic, right? Uh, there's a lot of ways we could go. Um, but in college, this is a great way to set it up. Karen and I had a class together. We actually took this class together, uh, and it was anatomy. Some of you probably taken anatomy at the college level. Um, and it's where you do some dissecting. You go underneath the surface. Um, many times I had to excuse myself from the class because I found out real quick I didn't have the stomach for it. Anybody feel me? Like, I, I just, you know, the, the dissecting the pig underneath, like, Karen loving it, like eating a cheeseburger while we do it. Uh, not me. I, I did not have the stomach for that. Um, and you say, well, how does that re apply to revival? Well, here's the way it applies. To see a move of God can be quite challenging and uncomfortable uncomfortable to see a move of God because it, it means that we have to allow the word of God to dissect our soul and dig out the traditions and beliefs that we have that do not align with Jesus. How many know you just because you're in church don't mean that your belief system is in line with Jesus, right? And sometimes we need to get underneath the surface, but if we'll take the challenge and if we can stomach it, I believe that a passion will be ignited in your life. A passion so permeating that it'll transform your life. A passion that is so persistent, persistent in your life that it will not run out. And a passion so powerful that when you come to the end of your life, you'll look back over your life and say, I experienced the moving of the Holy Spirit. How many want to see the Holy Spirit move, not just in your mom and dad's generation or your grand? How many want to see the Holy Holy Spirit move in your generation, in your family, in your community. And so that's another level. Uh, and, and I know that a lot of us, we come into this church and uh, we, we have different backgrounds. Some of us have backgrounds where, you know, talking about revival may make us uncomfortable. And others of us, when I said revival, you were ready to get up, throw a chair, run a lap, take your coat off and, and sling it around. While others of you, if you're not as comfortable, you're thinking, how can I sneak out during the message? right? Like there's, there's people all over the board when it comes to the subject of revival. But here's what we have to understand. Revival is one of the most misunderstood words in the entire church. And when I say church, I mean worldwide. There is a, there's a big misunderstanding on what it means to experience revival. Um, and I think because we don't understand what revival means, we miss it 
or if we don't miss it, we end up quenching it. And, and the word quench means to put out or extinguish, to cool suddenly by plunging into water. The, the Hebrews definition, when Paul wrote and said, quench not the spirit, it means to stifle or to suppress. Many times we say we want revival, but we end up suppressing it. We end up stifling it. And so we want to we get somewhat unquenched, right? But, but here's the first message title for today. I want to talk about this subject, start with me, all right? Because when we're talking about revival, it's not God, give my leaders revival, give my family revival, give my church revival. If we really want revival, we have to start with this premise, God, if it's going to happen, let it start in me. Matter of fact, hit your neighbor and tell him, revival starts with me. Come on, tell somebody that. Revival starts with me. Now, let, let's talk for just a minute. I'm going somewhere with this. We have to also understand what revival is not. Revival is not a bunch of church services grouped together. Revival is not for the uh, fanatics. Revival uh, is, is none of that. Revival, by definition, is when something that is dead is brought back to life. That's, that's what revival is. The best picture of this can be seen um, in those who followed God before the cross and those who followed God after the cross. There is a stark difference uh, in that and also in between death and life because before the cross, things were very much stale and religious. But after the cross, things were moving and supernatural. Before the cross, things were divided. But after the cross, things were unified. Before the cross, people were selfish. But after the cross, people were loving and generous. Before the cross, we see enslaved people. But after the cross, we see people that are healed and free and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Before the cross, we see a dwindling tradition. But after the cross, we see a world-changing force that is still expanding today. Now, a lot of us, when we talk about the difference between before the cross and after the cross, we would think that the difference would be desire, that those after Jesus just had more desire, but nothing could be further from the truth. Because when you look at the scriptures um, before Christ came, they had a complex system on how they were to connect with God. Um, they were dedicated. They had rituals. They had laws. They, they did a ton of stuff in, in their desire to touch heaven, to touch God. And this was before Jesus came. And there's a group in the New Testament known as the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they take a beating from the modern-day church. Well, usually when we talk about the Pharisees, we are very negative about them. Uh, you know, uh, we, we speak about them in, in negative terms. But what you have to understand about the Pharisees is that their dedication was unrivaled. Matter of fact, they had special clothes that they wore before they would go into the presence of God. Another uh, thing that's important to understand about the Pharisees is they never missed church. Some people we ain't been able to find since the pandemic hit. Come on, y'all. Um, 
they, they prayed publicly uh, every single day, multiple times a day. They tithed on the smallest amounts of income. They memorized, y'all got to get it, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. That is 156,796 words. And some of us can't even quote one verse. So it wasn't about desire. They had absolute desire. And from all observation, they were the most spiritually vibrant people of their day. But that's because, like now, many people will chalk up spiritual vitality to external expressions, to what we wear, to church membership, to spiritual practices or disciplines, and dare I say, Facebook posts. We think that's what makes us spiritual. The problem is, is that God does, he does not fall for what's on the surface, but like the anatomy class, God wants to bypass the surface level Christians, and he wants to get to the heart of the matter, and although it may be uncomfortable, how many know from time to time we need to pull the mask off, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about the parts of our life that does not line up with what Jesus has called us to be. Some of you can't clap because right now it's all me. Um, But this is so imperative because when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he dissected who they really were, not by external standards, but by internal standards. In verse 4 of that text, Jesus said, you guys won't lift a finger to help people. In verse 5, he said, you wear your self-righteous symbols on your arms. Verse 16, he said, you're blind to your own disobedience. Verse 22, he said, you have mouths that swear against God. Verse 28, he said, your hearts are full of hypocrisy. He finished his anatomy lesson that day um, by declaring their spiritual state as dead. In other words, you guys have a lot of activity, but your activity is not indicative of you being alive. And he sums it up in Matthew 23, 27, when he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Now, hear me out. This is not your Jesus that only says nice things. This is the Jesus who shows up that day, and he is slicing and dicing. He is cutting to the heart of the matter. I mean, how many know you got to be pretty bold to look at a group that dedicated and say, hey, you, you guys are like whitewashed tombs full of dead stuff. You got all this activity, but you are dead. And the scariest part about it is that they scoffed at him. Dead? What do you mean dead? I quote the Bible. I go to church. I post on Facebook. 
Jesus? What do you mean? I'm dead. They so disregarded Jesus that these very same people rejected him, arrested him, and had him crucified. They were so dead that even though the Son of God was standing right in front of them, they could not recognize him. And how often I have seen people who come to church and say they love Jesus that when a move of God is actually happening, they act as if God is not even moving. We can't even recognize it when it's happening right in front of us. They wanted God to do something, but they could not receive what he did. So many of us, we want God to do something, but we have not positioned ourselves to receive what he wants to do. And and could it be that the reason we don't see revival is because we're always looking around us and we fail to realize that revival doesn't begin around us, that revival actually begins in us. That revival is a spirit that we carry where dead things are brought back to life. And many people like the Pharisees, they've never accepted the idea that in spite of activity and knowledge and appearance, we may not be as, a spirit, as spiritually alive as we thought. See, revival is about bringing dead things back to life. So the first step to receiving that is to admit where we are, and we need to identify the areas where we are living less than what God has intended. See, the Pharisees' problem for revival was it was connected to their prayers. God, you know, stir them up. God, start revival in them. God, do that in our leaders. Do, do this and do that. But they failed to recognize that revival doesn't begin with someone else. Revival begins with me. And so Jesus identifies three spiritual states that we can be in. And I believe there, are, there will be people in one of these three categories in this room and watching online. The first state that Jesus gives reference to is those who are dead in sin, dead in sin. He paralleled their spiritual state to many of the tombs holding the dead because watch this, without God, we are dead. We are dead. We, we are born physically alive, but many times we remain spiritually dead. And the reason that is true is because when we are born physically, you and I, doesn't matter where we came from, we are born into sin, which means there's not a person watching, not a person here that is perfect, not a person here that doesn't need God's grace. We all need God's grace in our lives, and we have to recognize sin separates us from the source of life, which is God. And let me be clear, all of us, at one time, we're dead. Spiritually speaking, we were dead. Um, and a lot of times we want to classify people and put them in categories and, you know, divide the good and bad and divide the rich and poor and divide everyone in certain categories. But in the kingdom, everyone at some point was dead. Before Christ, how many is thankful that Jesus has brought you back to life? We were all dead. All of us. And so Jesus hits this head on and, and, and he bypasses like all their activity because a lot of people, even in church, will say, well, I, I serve the homeless. Jesus would say dead. I was at the top of my class. Jesus would say dead. My parents were, 
dead. None of that makes you alive. Only a relationship with Jesus brings dead things back to life. It's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed. Everybody say followed. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And so Paul tells us here, you, you can know who is dead and who is alive by what they follow. This is so important. He uses the word follow twice in that passage. People who are spiritually dead, they follow the value system of the world or of the ruler of the air, which is Satan, or their own desires. People who are alive are following Christ. Notice the indicator is not believe, but the indicator is follow. A lot of people believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean they're following Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. And in the Gospels, Jesus used believe on me five times, but he said follow me 20 times. So it's not enough to say I believe. Are you following Jesus or are you following your own desires? Which, which way are you going? Are you following yourself or are you following Christ? And some people at, in church, they think they're following Jesus, but the reality is they have invited Jesus to follow them. Y'all not ready for this. I thought the 11 o'clock would be ready for this. We've invited Jesus to follow us. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to go where we want to go. We're going to believe what we want to believe. We want Jesus to get us out of hell. We want him to be Savior. We just don't want his lordship. We just don't want him to have any role in the parts of our lives that we want him out of. Last time I checked, Jesus did not present us with a buffet of options. This is not optional. I don't get to pick and choose. And so if he's going to be the Lord of my life, there comes a time, there comes a point when my time has to become his time, when my money has to become his money, when my values has to become his values, my dreams become his dreams, my standards are his standards, my life is his life. Until he is Lord, you'll remain dead. So Jesus dealt with those who are dead in sin. There's a second spiritual state. It's those who are defiled by compromise. By pointing out these tombs, when Jesus referenced the tombs and said, you guys are like a bunch of whitewashed tombs full of dead things, like this wasn't just a story. Like he's there at the Mount of Olives and he's looking at the tombs he's talking about. And it had extreme significance 
Because not only was he highlighting the death, but he was exposing a secret that the Pharisees were keeping. According to the law, a tomb could only remain uh, ceremonially clean if it had one body in it. Like you could not put multiple dead bodies in a tomb or it was ceremonially unclean. But if it had one, one dead body in the tomb, then it was called ceremonially clean. Um, but due to space restrictions and the fact, and this is what the Pharisees didn't want anybody to know, they were profiting off of this. And so what they were doing is they were taking the bodies, multiple bodies, and placing them in the same tomb, which they were not allowed to do, but they were doing that and then whitewashing the tomb so that no one would know what was going on. And so when Jesus is making the reference, he's not just throwing anything out there. He's exposing their heart in the process, and he's talking about the fact that not only are the tombs whitewashed, but your hearts are whitewashed because you are hiding your compromise. The reason so many people struggle to live a victorious life is because they got stuff underneath the surface, and they're whitewashing it, acting as if partial obedience is, is an option for us. I get to pick and choose what parts I like and what parts I don't. What parts I'll obey versus what parts I'm not going to obey. It reminds me of a story that appeared on MSNBC years ago, and it was about a new sect of vegetarians. And these new vegetarians, um, it, it's kind of summed up with one phrase of, of a lady, and she said this, and this is the new vegetarians. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. Now, now it's funny, right? Like, I'm a vegetarian, but I love sausage. Like, that don't work. Um, so the true vegetarians were upset. Like, you can't say you're vegetarian eating sausage. You've got to change your name. And so the new vegetarians changed their name from vegetarian to flexitarian. And they are a group, and, and here's how they summed up. We really like vegetarian food, but we're not 100% committed. Flexitarian is a good way to describe a large part of the body of Christ and their commitment to Jesus. Because it, here's the deal. A lot of people, I, I really like Jesus, I just don't want to serve. I, I like going to church, but my money is off limits. I love the encouraging Bible verses, but I really don't want to pay attention to, to the ones that correct me. I love Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive. I love Jesus, but I'm not 100% committed. Jesus never gave you and I an invitation to obey him partially. He never gave us a buffet of options where we get to pick and choose what parts we like. He offered only one way to experience the abundant life, and he summed it up in Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus did not say, pick up your cross and put it back down when it's not convenient. He, he, he said, you are to carry the cross. Carrying the cross is when a, a girl tells her boyfriend, I can't sleep with you because I'm following Jesus. 
I'm going to find somebody in a minute. See, it's not comfortable to carry a cross. Not at all. But it is the only way that I can get near to Jesus. Dying to myself sounds like torture, right? How many of we're all selfish by nature? You don't come into the world unselfish. You come into the world very much selfish. Mine. My, my toy. Y'all know, like little kids, you don't even teach them that. It's already mine, mine, mine. Everything's mine. We come in selfish. So becoming like Christ and carrying the cross may sound like torture. It may sound miserable. But listen, when we fully commit to Christ, that's when he releases revival to us. And a lot of times the reason we miss it or the reason that we quench it is because we're not giving him lordship of our whole lives. We're giving him lordship over part of our life. The third and final group, those that would be defined as those with a dried-out passion. There's a place in southern, southeastern uh, California. It's the lowest, hottest, and driest place in North America. It's known as Death Valley. Summer temperatures rise to about 120 degrees, and the average annual rainfall is less than two inches. Tradition says that it got its name, Death Valley, from a pioneer who was leading a group, and they accidentally stumbled into what is now known as Death Valley with um, a shortage of food and water, and that's how it, it got its name. And I have no doubt that there are people watching, people in this service today, who are dead, some that are compromised, but many, hear my heart, many, you are spiritually dry. If there was a picture to describe your soul, it would be that of Death Valley. If you guys would throw that picture up on the screen. This is Death Valley. As you can see, dry, parched, nothing is growing, no, no, no flowers, no life. Everything is dead because the conditions are not right for anything to grow. A lot of us this last year has been difficult because it has brought us into a season of drought. We spiritually dry. Sometimes we sing the songs, but the songs never move past our lips into our heart. We hear the word on a Sunday, but it's only enough to get us to the next Sunday. Our expectations have become lowered, and some of us, our expectations have become dusty, like something you would sit on a shelf somewhere because we've been in such a drought. I've got good news and bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. If you stay dry too long, it'll kill you. You will die spiritually. The good news is dryness often drives desperation. In Psalm 63, David said, Oh God, you are my God. At dawn I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry, parched land where there is no water. I look for you in the holy place to see your power and your glory. My lips will praise you because your mercy is better than life itself. The good news is, is that you thought this dry season 
was one that would be marked for death, death of your dreams, death of your marriage, death of your faith. But this season is not going to be the death of anything. This season is actually going to get your heart right and in the right condition, and you're finally going to become thirsty enough and willing enough and honest enough to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And because the conditions are right, you're going to see revival. Anybody receive what I'm saying right now? You're going to receive revival. Death Valley dry parts, nothing grows, but there is something, there's a miracle that happens in Southeast California once every so often, and the last time it happened was 2016, and it's in Death Valley, and it's known as Super Bloom. Everybody say Super Bloom. Super Bloom. Throw the next picture up. Same Death Valley, but when Super Bloom happens, what, what takes place is that there is an unusually high amount of rainfall. And I love what expert Ken Robinson said. He said, this event proves that Death Valley is not dead, but Death Valley is just dormant. Right beneath the surface are the seeds of possibility, just waiting for the right conditions. One of the main differences between the people of God before the cross and the people of God after the cross is that after the cross, Jesus moved in, took up residence, which means that we have the right conditions, that our eyes are not distracted, but our eyes are fixed on pursuing Jesus, that our arms are open to love both those inside the church and those outside the church, that our knees are bent in a posture of prayer, that our mouths are guarded against criticism and gossip and hate, that our hands are extended to everyone, not, not just to those that we like or identify with, but to every person that we come into contact with. See the New Testament church, y'all stand with me. Worship team, come get in place. Watch this. The New Testament church, before Jesus showed up in the book of Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. From Malachi to Matthew, it's like 400 years of, it went dark. Jesus shows up, lives 33 years, 33 and a half years, gives his life up as a sacrifice for you and I. But how many know that was just the beginning? Because he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send another comforter, and it's, it's not just going to be God with you, it's going to be God in you. And the Bible says that on the day of the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, not only were they baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, and they saw that community change, but... When you look at the move of God, literally, this transformed homes, it shook cities, it upended nations, and it brought God all the glory. I'm saying we may be uncomfortable for a minute to allow the Holy Spirit to get to the heart of the matter. But I want to encourage some people, and I sense this the first service, I sense it again. There are some people that for whatever reason, the pandemic, maybe you've not been in the, in the house of God much, but for whatever reason, you have been in a dry season. You've been in a drought spiritually. And much like that first picture of Death Valley, it seems like nothing is growing. And I want to encourage you, don't stop there. There are seeds of possibility underneath the surface. If you can dig a little deeper, listen, 
The thing that you need for your next season is already in you. And I believe that Bethesda Church, and I believe that the church in this nation at large, that we are being positioned by the Holy Spirit to produce revival that will impact cities, impact states, and change the face of our nation. Come on, somebody, if you believe that. How many would say, I'm ready for revival? Give him praise if you're ready for revival. Now, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I, I put some words together that I, wanna, I want us to do together as a prayer. And I want to make sure that our hearts are prepared, that you're tuned in to what God is doing. And so as we make this declaration, we're going to put this declaration on the screen so that everybody can see it. And I want us to pray it together. Uh, you may want to lift your hands. I, I believe, listen to me, something significant is getting ready to happen as some of you make this declaration. The dry season, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear the sound. Listen, spiritually, sometimes you hear it before you see it. Position your heart, maybe lift your hands, but on the count of three, as they throw this up, when I say three, I want you all to say it with me. Don't just let me do it. I want revival to start in all of us individually. One, two, three, let's do it. Heavenly Father, my heart has been stirred for more of you. Thank you for sending this season of revival. Today, I choose you as my top priority my greatest pursuit, and the Lord of my life. Help me to follow your leading in every thought and action for the rest of my days. Lord, start a revival in me. Today, I take up my cross and invite you to pinpoint any area of compromise in my life. Help me to live completely surrendered according to your word and through your grace. Lord, start a revival in me. Today, in spite of my soul being dry, I commit to passionately seeking you. As I draw near to you in worship and through your word, I am certain you will draw near to me, restoring my soul, igniting my spiritual hunger, and filling me with your spirit. Lord, start a revival in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give God some praise right now if you believe that he's going to start a revival? Come on, give him praise for your family. Give him praise for your kids. Give him praise for your ministry. Revival starts in me. Revival starts in you. It's not just a bunch of services that we string together during the week and call it revival. You can put a month work. You can have 30 days in a row at 7 o'clock. We're, we're going to come and have church. But how many know that's not where it starts? It starts here. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around for the next couple of minutes. Revival is when dead things come back to life. Jesus wants to come into your heart. And without Jesus, we remain dead. But when Jesus enters into our life, we move from death to resurrection, from being dead to made alive. And so as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, 
I'm not where I need to be with God. I need, I need Jesus to save me. I need him to forgive me. I want to leave this place differently than I came in. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you'd say, that's me, and I want to make a decision to follow Jesus, not just say, I believe in him. I want to follow him. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that is me. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You say, that's me, Pastor. Those watching online, we would love to pray with you as well. All we have to do is, 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 is admit where we are, ask Jesus into our lives. He'll forgive us. He'll give us a clean slate. Let's pray this together, all of us. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give those folks a big round of applause. So good, so good. I'm gonna ask the prayer team and staff to go ahead and get in place. And as they're doing that, I wanna speak to those that just made a decision to follow Jesus. You just made the best decision of your entire life. If you would take just a moment during this last worship song, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. There are also ink pens available. If you could take a moment, let us know who you are, that you made a decision for Christ. And at the back, my, my left, your right, back corner of this room, there's a table there with balloons. There'll be someone there to, to greet you. If you would just take your card over, listen, they just wanna help you take your next step pray for you if you need prayer, but they also want to put a brand new Bible in your hand before you leave this place. So take advantage of that. We want to come alongside you and help you. As far as the altar call goes, listen, if you need healing in your body, Bethesda Church is a house of healing. If you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are here to pray with you. If you've got relationship trouble or struggles, listen, we're here to pray with you. Whatever you need prayer for, we are here to put our faith with yours and we're believing for God's best in your life. Before we sing this last song, can you give Jesus about 15 seconds of crazy praise? Come on, give him a praise in the house. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bethesda Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting bethesdachurch.tv give. We will catch you on the next episode.